0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we deal with an issue that has to be dealt with, collateral damage of injustice. And this goes as part two of our series as we address the collateral damage of our justice system and the effect that it has on really hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across this nation, of folks that are in our prison system, those that are wrongfully convicted, those who are fighting and climbing a uphill battle. In search for justice. And sometimes the toll is just a little bit too much. We learned that last week in in remembering our sister, Lawana Banks Clark, who passed away and was suddenly taken. But without question, there's responsibility that has to be levied out against those who contributed to her death. Injustice was one of them. We take off on that topic right now. Hang on to your seats, folks. This is Agency Radio. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Sapson, Riddle, and the Lisa Stewart and the entire AJC radio team tonight. As we tackle this subject, collateral damage of injustice, part two. And As we said, Sapson, earlier, LaWanna Banks-Clark, we talked about last week, the contributions, those that were culpable in the death of LaWanna Banks-Clark. And it is a system that she was – involved in that really ultimately contributed to loss of life and then of course her death uh, this is serious business absolutely and, uh, tonight we deal with the other side of that topic go ahead sampson your thoughts on that as we get ready to deal with the others that have been affected uh, as a result of this issue
2: well i mean like we talk about week after week of this show like there is a huge gaping problem with our justice system these prosecutors these judges these people that are advocating to have these people wrongly convi- convicted and imprisoned are not taking into account the, the impact that these decisions are having, not only on the people that are in prison, but on the on their families, on their relatives. I mean, we've we've had stories on here week after week of a parent finding out that their child's going to be imprisoned, and you know, um, they go and commit suicide or try and kill themselves. You know, we've had children. Being reported up shooting themselves in the head because a parent got locked up, and they they were looking forward to spending some quality time with that parent. Like these people have no idea the impact and the lives that they are destroying because of these wrongful convictions and imprisonments. And our and our sister Luana is she's no different. She she did you know time there. I'm on upon, upon you know her own little stint, and then she had the stress of other family members going to jail and everything like that. And then just I can't sit here and not admit that, that that played a part in our sister's demise. And I mean, until these people get it through their heads that they're affecting more than just one ruling in one case or however many cases, that they're affecting hundreds of thousands and millions of lives, nothing's going to change. But we got to stand up and we got to do something about it.
1: Well, absolutely. Dennis, your thoughts as to what Samson is saying? Yeah, we, we have to do something. I mean, uh, uh, again, it's, it's a serious situation when uh, mothers are killing themselves, so, you know, committed suicide because their sons uh, were imprisoned wrongfully. And when uh, uh, family members are just I mean, it's just crazy when an when a, a, a inmate hangs himself because he's tried everything. He's tried to uh, circumvent the system to make sure that his innocence was proven. But it never happens because the justice system we're not looking for uh, the, to prove innocence. Uh, we're looking to prove guilt. So it's, it's a tragedy. Uh, families you know families are hurting all over the place and again when we talk about our sister Lawana I mean to me that's the gravest of all gravest you know uh here's a good woman and and have to deal with her her brothers you know being wrongfully convicted and then of course her wrongful conviction so it's sad it's, it's sad that we have this in our justice system but again that's why we have this show to speak out and get others to speak out i mean we got to call congressmen and women we got to We've really got to get out there and say enough is enough. We're tired of seeing our family members treated like dirt, and those that are in prison, you know, treated less than animals. No, absolutely right. We're going to deal with that tonight. The definition, excuse me, of collateral damage is uh, the deaths, injuries, or other damage inflicted on an unintended target. In American military terminology, it is used for the incidental killing or wounding. Of non combatants or damage to non combatant property doing an attack on a legitimate military target. And that's the military definition. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm talking about tonight is no less serious. It is no less than that definition. And I believe that definition in itself does not do it justice. Uh, an unintended target, who is that? Not only are you killing inmates in county jails. Who have not been convicted of a crime that's right. they're in county jail not are you not only are you doing that that's collateral damage because in many cases some of these people should have never been arrested never been put in county jail mm-hmm. never been pulled over and then ultimately the damage is that in the death people are dying in our prisons in our jails collateral damage As a result of a system that has fallen off the rails. We're going to deal with all of that tonight on the other side of the break, folks. Tell everybody you know to tune in. How do we stop collateral damage? How do we address these issues? Or do we sit back and remain silent? It's not an option on the table. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. We know you
3: care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice.
4: Did you
5: know that
6: minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent?
5: The incidents of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded.
7: <laughs> youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We
8: must represent for people to get fair trials.
5: If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote.
3: Columbine, Virginia Tech, Tucson, Aurora,
10: Fort Hood, Oak Creek, Newtown, 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 Newtown. How many more? How many more? How many more colleges?
8: How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters?
6: How many more houses of faith?
11: How many more shopping malls? How many more street
3: corners? How many more? How many more?
6: Enough, enough, enough,
12: enough. Demand a plan.
13: Right now, as a mom,
12: as a dad, as a friend, as a husband,
7: as a wife,
6: as an American,
7: as an American, as an American,
0: as a human being, for the children of Sandy Hook, demand a plan.
10: No more lists of names. It's not too soon,
1: it's too late.
10: Now is the time.
11: Before we all know someone who loves someone on that list, no more lists.
10: No more
8: Who they might have been No more
10: If we had just done something yesterday
7: It's time
8: We can do better than this
7: We can do better than this
8: It's time
6: It's time
3: It's time for our leaders to act Demand a plan Right now
6: Right now You Demand it Enough
3: Enough
13: Enough Enough
3: I wanted to be in the military since I was a a kid I served in the United States Air Force
14: I served a total of 16 years.
3: I was deployed uh, 13 times. On well, my second deployment, four bombs that hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die.
0: Coming back, I was raging.
8: I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless.
14: I guess I never recognized it in myself.
8: Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody.
4: Don't suffer alone. You gotta find that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go.
8: It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community
3: of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Congress
14: shall make no law respecting an establishment Of religion. Or prohibiting the free exercise. Thereof. Or abridging the freedom of speech.
8: Or
3: of the press. Or the right. Of the people. Peaceably.
14: To assemble. And to petition.
8: The government.
14: For a redress of grievances.
1: Back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we address the issue of collateral damage, part two of our series. Uh, and we're dealing with some serious issues tonight. Those who are affected as a result of injustice in this nation, and we're not talking about a fine or a slight change in lifestyle, we're talking about the death uh, and horrific stories that come with injustice and we can no longer sit back and remain quiet on this issue. As we discussed earlier in the show, we talked about uh, LaWanna Banks Clark, the prime example of what that collateral damage will bring one to uh, the contribution we believe without question uh, of our justice system uh, that she wrongfully did six months in a federal prison. She has seen injustice at the hands of, of other siblings, including uh, my brother. Uh, Her brother, David Banks, one of the RP5, also saw the injustice of myself, wrongfully convicted. Uh, And it goes on and on and on, including the other five, uh, four gentlemen, along with David Banks, who are uh, sitting in federal prison right now uh, on a crime they never committed. And they, I believe, are six years in, uh, headed towards seven years sitting in a prison, federal prison, for something they did not do. Uh, If you think this is something that is minimum or something that's not a big deal, uh, I'll invite you to walk in these shoes and you tell me different. Uh, This is a tragedy. It is an outrage, and we are going to address these issues. How do we as a society, as a people, as Americans, as non-Americans, whatever you are, sit back silently why people in body bag after body bag after body bag continues to be filled because people are totally out of it. They have lost their way trying to figure out and find a way for justice that they cannot find. Ultimately, death after death, family members who are under the stress of this system, who believe probably at one point that this system could do something, has done nothing has done nothing to combat this issue. We're going to deal with it. And I don't think we're looking at it like we need to as a society, as a country, when you're talking about people dying, families being separated, children being separated from their parents, from their mom, from their dad, from their grandmother, from their grandfather, their aunts, their uncles, you name it. The system is running rogue and really doing some destruction Uh, in the lives of a lot of people. And and this is just something, Dennis, we have to address. Uh, You'll never know the pain a family member is going through. Every day they pick up a telephone, and their loved one is on the other end of that phone, wishing that they could come home, missing another Christmas, another birthday, another Mother's Day. And you know what? Many people behind bars, wrongfully convicted, Sometimes loved ones are passing away because they just can't deal with it. And I have that burden as a wrongfully convicted inmate to carry behind the wall the death of my loved one. David Banks is no exception to that rule, who lost his sister and the prison went a step further in the cruelty and refused him to come out and to put his sister to rest to grieve with his family. This is collateral damage. David Banks, number one, should never be in a prison anywhere, period, because he's not guilty of anything. And to read the definition again, collateral damage is the death, injuries, or other damages inflicted on an unintended target. David Banks is a target. LaWanna Banks-Clark was a target. Pastor Rose Banks and her family are targets. And every family member of the RP5 are targets and the countless thousands of other people across this country who are unintended targets who suffer extreme pain at the hands of a system that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to deal with that. Sampson, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, when you brought up the fact that they denied... Uh, David, the the ability to come out here and actually help bury, um, our sister Lawana. I was actually just reading uh, of another inmate that was denied the exact same thing in the uh, Chicago Tribune here back in 2006. I mean, he's having to bury a 12 or he didn't get a chance to bury his 12 year old daughter, 12 year old daughter. This is a 54 year old man. He might never, never, if she had lived, never got the chance to even see her grow up. But now you're talking about, this is the last time he's going to get a chance to see his little girl. This is the last chance he's going to get to say goodbye or anything else like that to her. And you're going to deny him that just for the simple fact that you have the authority, you have the power to do so. Now, let's take it back to the, the, the situation that Lamont just brought up. You know what I'm saying? Dennis, where he, he, he made it right here upfront and personal with us, you know, where you know, our brother David is wrongfully convicted. He's been behind the wall for going on seven years now. And by their regulations, their rules, their standards, he's supposed to be allowed to get – because he's only in a camp. He's not in some maximum security hole. He's in a camp. He's supposed to be allowed, from what I know, up to 30 days to be out, bury his sister, mourn her properly, and be with his family so they can, they can do this. But instead, now, like Lamont was, has been saying, they're going off and they're impacting not just the immediate family. Not just you know the friends and loved ones that care for you know the Banks family as if they're one of our own, but now everybody else outside of it is just a domino effect. And this system of injustice that we have in place is doing nothing, nothing to put in checks and balances to hold these people accountable for what they're doing. What are they doing? They just go out there and they're shotgun blasting these people and they're hitting whoever they can hit with it. They're wrongfully accusing people. They're wrongfully imprisoning people. The IRP-5 is just one of many, but the biggest hometown example that we have here. You know. And we, we can't say it enough on this program. We have to get out there. We have to do something about it because if you're quiet, you know what? That means you're, you're
1: going along with it. And no, no, absolutely. Go ahead, Dennis. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, you're going along with it. And again, and we have to look at all the exonerations. That's what, that's what American got to look at. Why are we having so many exonerations? Why? Because there's so many people being wrongfully convicted, wrongfully imprisoned for something they didn't do. I think about Gerald Hunt, who, I mean, committed suicide because they, 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 told, they called him a rapist, and he didn't rape anyone. So they don't understand the collateral effect, you know, uh, you lose your husband, you lose your wife, you lose your children, all because you're accused of a, something that you didn't do. And then it's all about the prosecutors. They got to get a, there's, there's no, I must win at any cost. You're guilty until proven innocent. And that's getting a little bit much. So until America starts saying, okay, wow, that is, that is strange. We are having a, a, a lot of generations. And then think about those that are on death row. We're gonna deal you got with people that. on death row that did not do anything. And you're seeing, so you're going to kill someone? Just to get a win, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. We gotta start speaking out and saying enough is enough. The collateral damage is is getting over the top. We gotta fix this. Well, look, I'll tell you right now, this is not something you can discuss and wrap up in a box in one show. This series of collateral damage will continue uh, as we expose uh, the cases, the tragedies, if you will of the collateral damage effect right now let's hear a little bit of what collateral damage is and what's happening in our system let's hear it
4: i remember sitting through the trial saying there's absolutely no way that there's, he's going to be, be found convicted."
5: Joel Broderick and Leah Rae Smith-Banker were just 20 and 21 years old when their father was sentenced to 12 to 16 years in prison. When this
4: all started, I had just graduated from high school. I was a uh, captain of the football team and, you know, wrestler and ran track and, you know, sports star. And, you know, I had my dad around for everything and I, you know, it was just about the, right, the time when I was uh getting ready to have to learn how to be a man and learn how to learn how to do things, you know, like, uh, you know, learn how to read a tape measure learn how to do stuff that your father teaches you. And just at that time, you know, he ended, he got locked up.
5: The two were young and their father was now missing out on some of life's biggest moments. The, all the
14: things that, you know, you call your dad for that you can't call your dad for. I got married a year from my first date. From my, with my husband and was there, my brother walking down the aisle.
5: Their father was now a ghost in the memories that were being made. I mean,
14: my life happened so fast, and so many changes came that you know, that I just didn't have an
15: input.
14: There, you know, there's we have all these pictures, and then he's just
5: not in them. For Joel, life's path was a bumpy one. After his father's conviction, he got addicted to drugs and alcohol and was in prison himself.
4: I, you know, I struggled with drugs and alcohol and like literally right after right off the gate. As soon as that happened, I I, I, just, I just decided I was just going to numb myself, you know, I, I, and not think about it. You know, um, I dealt with it by trying not to think about him, because if I try not to think about him, that I didn't have to deal with all the, you know, the, the emotions that come with it and, the, you know, the heartache.
5: Not only were the brother and sister facing life hardships without their father, they were also dealing with the ridicule of the community and some of their own families. Um, his
14: mother passed away when my son was six months old, and
0: he couldn't be there for that.
14: And you go there, I remember at my grandmother's funeral, there's a stigma of... There's Ron John's daughter and you know her husband or son and my dad's not there and people you know don't believe you they don't believe they and every you know that everybody's whispering in the background and and you, you know you say he didn't do it and people don't want to listen. Everybody loved
4: my dad like all my friends he was you know just just, 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 just everybody's like where's your dad how's your dad and, and then it turned from you know everybody. You know, my dad like a father figure to everybody. All my friends, they had a ton of friends. You know, um, going from that to every time somebody asked, you know, where's your dad? How's your, How's Ron John doing? You know, to me, I w- I used to lie and say that he was in jail for murder because it was a better than the alternative.
5: The two thought their father would never make it out of prison. All these
4: appeals were coming up, and then we were like, He's definitely going to get out of on this one, definitely. And a year would go by, and then I would talk to him on the phone, and he would say. Uh, it's going to uh, I don't know, son, it might be another year. They said, we are going for another appeal to paper, it's in, but you know how long it's last time they said it, was going to be, you know, maybe September, and now it's two September from now, and uh, it just, I uh, it's a
14: nightmare. I remember thinking that my kids are never going to know that grandpa, they're never going to have a grandpa, he's going to die, he's not young, you know, it's not like this happened when he was 30 years old right he was 56 years old and all a decade over a decade had gone by and it's he's never gonna know these beautiful grandkids and i know that he, he he would be exactly the grandfather that he is today
5: despite their father's absence Leah Ray still remembers the few things he could do for them while he was locked away he would tend
14: um, birthday presents and for all the kids all the time, dream catchers. He, he spent so much time in there thinking about us and our family and doing stuff for the kids.
5: Leah Ray says that this incident changed her. She now sees things from a different perspective. It changes
14: every aspect of your thinking. It, puts it. It, it changes it when you see um, a convicted child molester, rapist on TV. I remember before going, yeah, good. You know what I mean? They got everything. Now you wonder, what really happened?
5: You question so much when this happens to your family. Mia Ray now travels with her father to innocence conventions all over the country, where together they fight to keep this from happening to others. And my dad was actually on the sword end of time.
14: 14 years is, you know, a quarter of a lifetime, so, and there were people who did 30, 40, and this is going on everywhere in America,
5: and it has to stop. It has to stop. Now that their family has been reunited, they are slowly trying to put the pieces back together. Do you love him? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite thing to do with your grandpa?
15: Man, Monopoly. <laughs> in Monopoly. Yeah, yeah.
1: And there you have it. Uh, collateral damage of our system. When you hear that story, you hear those family members talking. I think the problem our society has not caught up with yet is time is slipping away. We don't have a lot of time. So while a family in this family, in this particular clip that you just heard, is trying, as they stated in the clip, to put the pieces back together, how much time is wasted? How much time is taken from these family members? I mean, what have we done as a society? To realize that our time is precious. And when we simply sit back and remain silent and say, well, that's just the way our system is, and nobody's really upset about it, it's not going to work until you live it. I got news for you tonight. We've lived it. And we've cried through it. And we've been angry through it. Our voice does not go silent. It gets louder. It is imperative that the folks in this nation rise up and say it is time to demand justice. That is the purpose of our justice system. It is the purpose for which we do what we do. It's for justice. I want you to hear this real quick. we we'll gonna be bringing on our guest, Kathy Morse here momentarily. Listen to this. Mother of son who hanged himself after being accused of rape commits suicide one year later mother of a teenager who hanged himself after being subjected to rape allegations has committed suicide, this was a, a few years back, in the same way shortly after the anniversary of his death. The family of Karen Cheshire, 55, said she could not see a future without her son. Jehu's body was found in a park near their home after being accused of rape. The rape complaint was withdrawn after two weeks, but the claims were said to have deeply affected the 17-year-old and his family. Ms. Kashire had wanted to investigate the police's handling of the case, but became deeply depressed. An inquest into her death found she died on July 18th of the same causes as her son, asphyxiation. Her brother, Simon Kashir 58 said it came to the anniversary of Jay's death, and sadly, although I almost expected her to do something, I'm shocked she actually took her life in the same fashion. She just couldn't see a future without Jay. Ms. Kishire, a bus driver, said he last saw his sister looking vacant, zombie-like, four days before the anniversary of Jay's death. He added she used to be so different. She was just really, really intelligent woman who probably could have written books. She even kept a diary for 40 years. But what happened to Jay just finished her off, and she never recovered. This is what we talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, please make no mistake about it. One year later. And the charges were withdrawn, but the damage was already done. This is what we're talking about, collateral damage. She never recovered. Her son said being accused, he wasn't guilty of anything. He wasn't convicted in a court of law. The allegation itself, this is why the process of justice must start before an arrest is ever made. Because this is a clear example of that impact. Two lives lost. Two lives. It's unacceptable. Are we going to do something about it? That is the question. Right now joining us to get into this conversation, our dear friend of AJC Radio and I Just Calls, Kathy Morse, who we have a great deal of respect for. Uh, We're so glad that she took time tonight to join us. Kathy, are you there?
6: Yes, I am here. Good evening.
1: Good evening to you. And so we're privileged to have you tonight, as we always are. Uh, as we have talked about this new series we've started, Collateral Damage of Injustice, uh, and we were talking uh, during the break, uh, Kathy, that even the guilty, those who may have been guilty of something that put them in prison, they're still injustice. Behind the wall to those who are even guilty That they should not suffer And today as, as we were Going over this show I thought of you And I said we got to have Kathy on Because she knows this topic Probably better than most And I thank you for coming on And, and, and uh, joining us tonight As, as, as you know uh, and are aware of I believe I got a response from you on Facebook Regarding the one of Banks Clark My sister who was taken suddenly yeah. from us we, we did a show on that last week um, But tell us how you're doing Uh, And what your thoughts are as we go down this journey of collateral damage of injustice?
6: Um, I'm doing fine. Um, You know, it's it's one day at a time, as with everything else. Um, I feel the impact of the collateral damages um, every day. It's something that I will carry, carry with me. Until the day I die. Um, You know, part of it has to do with the guilt that I feel um, over what I did. And, you know, the pain and anguish that I caused to my family. Um, But I did my time. I served my sentence. I successfully completed parole. I've turned my life around. I've become an advocate. For criminal justice reform, and it's time for people after five years of being home now to lo- stop looking at me as if I'm um, a piece of dirt on the street.
15: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and that oh, yeah. and that happens to so many of us.
15: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm
6: not I'm not alone in this. Um, and it's especially harder, I think, for people who were, you know, convicted, falsely convicted, and later exonerated. And I don't, you know, I I, I feel that there is nothing that any of us can do to give them back that time that they lost, you know. Right. Right. And then I also think about, you know, I'm reminded of Khalif Browder, who everybody knows about, I guess. Um and just last week his family settled with the city for three million dollars. But yeah, we'll start that. That'll right, and that'll never bring back Khalif. Um you know, that'll never um cover, you know, The pain and the trauma that he suffered and what just merely being detained on Rikers did to him, both mentally and physically, it it scarred him so much. And we lost a human life. We lost, you know, a human being and no amount of money can ever bring that back.
1: No, absolutely right. And uh, right now, Kathy, what I want to do – go ahead, Kathy. Go ahead.
6: No, go ahead, what you were saying. It's fine.
1: Uh, And I I agree with you. Uh, I don't think – I think what happens as a society, we tend to, if it's horrific to look at, let's just turn the other way. Let's just look the other way. Let's act like that's not really happening. I think that's what our society is guilty of because we don't want to look in the mirror and say, look, we have a problem. And if there's nothing in this world more precious than human life, nothing, and when that goes and is auctioned on the table and brought up on the table that life doesn't matter anymore, that people dying doesn't matter anymore, that the collateral damage taking the lives of people, of children, Khalif was a kid when they did this to him. I saw the video. I saw the video with them beating him. In county jail, man. Why, guards assaulted him. On the other side of the break, we're going to play a clip of the Khalif Riders story. I'm going to get your thoughts on that, Uh, Kathy. Ladies and gentlemen of America, I would would tell you again, pay attention to what's being said here on this program tonight and what's always discussed. There's going to come a time you will be faced, possibly in your own life. With collateral damage, you may very well be that collateral damage. As a result of a system that seems to not be getting better, it's getting worse. How many body bags do we have to fill? How many children have to die? How many parents have to grieve? Or children grieving their parents because the pressure was too much. This is AJC Radio on the side of the break. Coming back with Khalif Browder, his story. going to get kathy's thoughts on it this is idc radio collateral damage let's take a look we'll be right back
9: do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent the united states is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit if you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit There is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
16: How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
0: Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes? 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
15: Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America And can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice.
16: It's time for smart
15: justice. And we need your help.
3: have to stop. There must be accountability. Black. White. Brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will
4: not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable.
12: Change is necessary.
4: We
15: need to
12: talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark.
16: We must unite.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio uh, addressing the issue tonight of collateral damage of injustice. And we have just touched a little bit on uh, the tragedy, the human tragedy of injustice and the damage that it causes the lives, I would say, of millions of people, families, the wrongfully convicted, the moms, the dads, the aunts, the uncles, the children the nephews, the nieces, you name it, that go to bed every night missing a loved one because of injustice. And uh, we're going to continue to address this issue. We're very happy tonight to be joined uh, in this conversation uh, by Kathy Morris, who I consider a friend of this organization and of this radio program. Kathy, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of this discussion. We appreciate it.
6: Thank you. Um, Something I just want to go back to that you said before we went on break um, what And I say this a lot, um, with the current trends with incarceration, everybody will know somebody who has been incarcerated. Everybody will somehow be touched by incarceration, be it themselves individually, a relative, a neighbor, a coworker, you know, or a friend. Everybody is going to be touched somehow. By incarceration.
1: Absolutely. And,
6: you know, oftentimes we just think about the individual who is arrested and charged. We don't think about their family, how it impacts their children, how, you know, how it impacts, you know, their entire family, their entire, you you know, their whole, you know, little network there. And it does. It has a rippling effect. And not only, you know, it, it does it cause the trauma to the individual who's incarcerated, but it's the trauma and the heartbreak to the families as well. Absolutely. Um, yes. And it's just it just spreads out there and you know, Khalif, my heart breaks every time I think of Khalif. Um You know, and I I posted about it on Twitter when they announced the award, and I'm like, there is no justice in that award. It will not bring him back. It will never compensate for the pain and suffering he went through. Um, You know, the only thing that we can hope is that with that settlement, that the family will use that to advocate, to prevent future,
1: Kalief. No, absolutely right. Um, and,
6: you know, he's, he's not Kalief, He's His name is out there and every, everybody, you know, regardless of where you go, has heard of him. But there's other police as well that we don't hear about.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to go to the Khalif Browder story, a report uh, that was done by Byron Pitts of, I believe, ABC News. We're going to hear from him um, Let's hear the clip. We'll get your thoughts on the, the other side of it.
15: Mm-hmm. All right.
11: We turn now to another tragic story about a young man who learned the hard way about the troubles plaguing America's criminal justice system. Kalief Browner was arrested at 16, never convicted of a crime, never had a trial, but spent more than three years in one of the most violent jails in the country. Tonight, here is Khalif in his own words. You're supposed, you're supposed to be innocent to proven guilty, but the way the system is, you're guilty to proven innocent. Little did we know Khalif Browder was already dying inside the day we met him. At the easy age of 22, he'd already learned more about America's criminal justice system and endured more than any soul should ever have to. That's Khalif there on the floor inside Rikers Island, New York City's most notorious jail. Beaten by a gang of fellow inmates, all caught on camera. At the age of 16, he was arrested and sent here for allegedly stealing a backpack. It was like how long, earth. We were beaten, stomped by the correction officers and they were just just beating on me, they were just beating on me. Beatings captured on surveillance video obtained by The New Yorker magazine, which first brought Khalif's story to light. In this video, we see him being escorted to the prison shower. He appears to speak to the guard, who in seconds is seen slamming him into a wall and then to the ground. I cry myself to sleep because it's like, I want to go home. And it's like, they're not letting me go home. To go home, Khalif's mother, Benita Browder, needed to post bail of $3,000, money she says she just didn't have. What was your reaction when you heard that your 16-year-old boy was being sent to Rikers Island? My heart dropped. You know, I had
7: heard so many horror stories about Rikers, and all I could picture was him getting
11: hurt in there. Court records show Khalif had attempted suicide at least six times, spent 1110 days behind bars, more than 800 of those in solitary confinement. His court date postponed more than 30 times. He endured all this having never been given a trial, never convicted of a crime. Finally, in June of 2013, All charges against Khalif were dismissed, but his experience exposed the troubled criminal justice system and the brutality of life behind bars. I think at some point,
3: almost a reckless disregard by the prosecutors in this case. They didn't care, Byron. They saw his file. They saw that he was in jail, and he'd probably take a plea, and they were hoping he'd take a plea.
7: They just told me that if I plead guilty, I will release from jail that same day,
11: but I didn't do it. You're not going to make me say I did something just so I could go home. When we first met him November of last year, he was doing better, he said. Earned his GED, started classes at Bronx Community College, pulling a 3.56 GPA. But the psychological trauma from jail had taken its toll.
7: And when he first came home, he would just walk the four corners of the driveway.
11: You hear animals do that have been confined to a space. Yes,
7: he did it. And I had to watch my baby go through all of that.
11: In the last year, Khalif grew depressed, deeply paranoid. You know, deep down, I'm a mess. I feel like I'm a grown old man. And then two Saturdays ago, two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself with an air conditioner cord in his home in the Bronx. He was 22. I didn't know what to do. I,
7: can you imagine finding your son and he's hanging with his head back?
11: Khalif's death made national news and messages of outrage mixed with sympathy flooded social media. John Legend wrote in an op-ed that New York failed Khalif. Lena Dunham Instagrammed his photo and called for reform. Our interview with Khalif went viral on Facebook. What we now know is that Khalif was due in court to face new charges of disorderly conduct the week he took his own life. His family said he was scared to go back into jail. By now, the beatings he endured in Rikers have been seen millions of times online. What did Rikers do to your son? It destroyed him.
7: It destroyed him
11: mentally. Has anyone apologized to you from Rikers? No. From the prosecutor's office? No. What do you hope happens now?
7: I want them to be responsible, to admit that it was their fault that my son is dead. He spent three years in, in hell.
11: It sounds like you're in that hell now.
7: I will be in hell until the day I die because I found my son hanging. If your child is murdered, you you have a, an immediate anger towards that person and you want that person found, you know, and, and paid for what they did to your child. It's not one person, it's a whole system that destroyed my son. And I want them
8: all to pay. And I deeply wish we hadn't lost him, but he did not die in vain.
11: New York did away with solitary confinement for 16 and 17-year-olds. Plans were announced to fix crowded dockets in courts to ensure the right to a speedy trial. There are also calls for change to the cash bail system. Currently, only 12% of defendants in New York City make bail.
3: We're in a quest for justice right now, Byron.
11: Paul Prestia, who helped Khalif file his civil suit against the city, says it's not enough.
3: Reform's all nice and well, but admit you did something wrong here, because that was always Khalif's message. How many young men have to go through this? Ninety-nine percent of the critics will talk all that junk. I promise you, they wouldn't have the courage to do the job that the correction officers do.
11: Bernie Carrick knows the system from both sides. The former chief of the New York City Police Department, he also ran Rikers Island for years. And as a convicted felon, he spent time in solitary confinement.
3: As someone that spent 60 days inside solitary confinement, it creates paranoia. It makes you insane.
11: But he cautions the city against bowing to public pressure and implementing changes, he says, that could put Riker's correction officers and inmates in danger.
3: If you take solitary confinement away from the correction officials you're going to see a major, major increase in violence. These are kids that come from gangs. These are kids that ran the streets. I think is very dangerous.
11: So what would you do? What, what were think, your suggestions to improve Rikers
3: Island? I think you keep that. You charge the staff that violate the law, and they're locked up.
11: It's not hard to imagine the life he might have led if he had made it. I have the medal hanging on my bed. You see it in the remnants of the life and the people he left behind. Like Elizabeth Pyams, program director at Bronx Community College, who worked closely with Khalif. Degree. She says she's working on getting Khalif his associate degree, posthumously.
15: <laughs> Thank <you so> much.
11: <laughs> what do you want the world to remember of your son?
7: To remember him for the stand-up person that he was. He was a good
11: person. The kind of person who turned down a plea bargain on principle, whose story may help save others like him. If I would have just been guilty, then my story would have
2: never been heard. Nobody would have took the time to listen to me. I'd have been just another
6: criminal.
1: Well, there you have it. Relief Browder tragedy this young man lost his life never charged never convicted three years at rikers island collateral damage is the death injury or other damage inflicted on an unintended target american military terminology is used for the incidental killing or wounding of non-combatants for damage to non-combatant property doing an attack on a legitimate military target. When do human beings become targets? When does that stop mattering? Luana Banks-Clark, Khalif, countless others who die at the hand of injustice is unacceptable in every possible way. Kathy, when you hear Khalif, give me your thoughts.
6: Um, it, it breaks my heart. Um, I can't. Um, I will start to cry because um, I can feel his pain. Um, I really do. I feel his pain. And, um, what that interview did not mention was that Khalif's mother died. Correct.
15: Um,
6: of a broken heart. I, I honestly believe that, that it was from a broken heart from not only the loss of her son, but finding him dead. Um, I will also be honest with you. I myself have told my psychiatrist that if I ever had to go back to Rikers, I would kill myself. Um, So I I understand the pain and the anguish that he was feeling over the possibility of having to go back to Rikers.
1: Mm. That's a oh. – wow. But I'll tell you what. Uh, it may be an uncomfortable topic. Maybe But we need people, to talk about it, but We need to talk it. about it. You don't have a choice. Um,
6: We've got, if we don't talk about it, how are we not going to – we need to educate the community so that they're aware of this is the reality of what goes on.
1: And I believe it is a culture that is in every part of our criminal justice system. And that's whether you're talking about death row, whether you're talking about loopholes to keep people locked up. We're going to talk about on the other side of the break, uh, former death row inmate Alfred Brown. Uh, and this is today, or Monday rather, uh, January 28th. report finds former death row inmate Alfred Brown actually innocent. Uh, there were some issues prior to Monday that they were not going to give him uh, any type of public uh, announcement of his innocence because they said, well, just because you're found not guilty doesn't mean that you're innocent. We're going to talk about that. I had a mm-hmm. conversation uh, earlier this week about that, but this report comes out today, Actual Innocence Shows. But those are rare, far in between. We're going to talk about that exactly what he was dealing with. Ten years, I believe, on death row and the tragedy of that, the collateral damage of that, and how he will be affected the rest of his life as a result. Ten years taken. we to deal with that on the side of the break. Kathy, come back with us if you have a moment. We'd like to keep you on. Yes, I will. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, collateral damage of injustice. Make no mistake about it. We're just getting started. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
8: The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people. of the world's total population, but house 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over one6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone, but the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform.
0: I'm a father, I'm a sister, a registered nurse, I serve my country in the United States military,
4: I'm your neighbor, I sit next to you at church,
0: and my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed a rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see
10: me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult
7: at age 17,
0: sentenced as an adult at age 16,
7: sentenced to as an adult at age 15. We felt lost,
0: isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life.
7: Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you.
0: Now we have a voice. Now we, we have power. power. In numbers, in numbers,
5: in
7: numbers, we can make a
5: difference. There are approximately two
10: million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org.
17: There's a lot of mud when it rains here and it makes it really hard to find food. There are cart bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for them to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. Tonight, continuing our discussion about collateral damage of injustice. And I'll tell you what, this has been a, a serious conversation. We've been honored to have uh, Kathy Morse on board with this conversation uh, and chiming in on a very troubling uh, situation in this nation. Uh, and Kathy, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening and joining us tonight. Uh, for this conversation, we were talking uh, prior to the break. Uh, the story of Alfred Brown out there in Texas, uh, and the Houston Chronicle is responsible for this article. Uh, Samson, we were talking prior to the break, uh, or during the break rather, uh, about what they've done to this man. I believe he spent ten years on uh, death row, twelve years in prison. Conviction was overturned after discovery of evidence substantiating his innocence. And you have a prosecutor who, at the last minute, Special Prosecutor John uh, Rayley has completed a report finding ex-death row prisoner Alfred uh, Dwayne Brown actually innocent, according to current and former Houston Police Union Chiefs uh, Joe Gamaldi and Ray Hunt. The Harris County District Attorney's Office was set to release the bombshell results of the a month-long investigation on Monday, uh, but step back at the last minute, Hunt says. Two sources familiar with the case confirmed the union's claims to the Houston Chronicle. Uh, and this is the, this is the really the, the serious point of collateral damage. It says that State Bar dropped the probe into ex-prosecutor accused of withholding evidence in this case. Uh, so there was a probe into why the prosecutor did what he did. Now, the state bar says we're not going to pursue this any further. Now only no, only who knows what this man has gone through, and what effects this will have on him after the fact? Samson, your thoughts?:
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean let, let's not just go under the fact that he was been wrongfully convicted. Let, let, let's Let's go ahead and start out with that. But now this man was sentenced to die in 2005 for something he didn't do. Now they come back and oh, they found evidence in his garage, phone records that confirm this man's alibi, and they find it during spring cleaning. Right. Now, okay. Now after that, now they're just going to keep laying it on the man who had, Rayleigh, who had the report confirming this man's innocence, then declined, publicly declined to confirm the the results of his report. I mean, what kind of coward do you have to be? Yeah, you've already been paid, fella. Just tell them what you know. Exonerate this man, but instead right. they just keep landing on this guy. Because now, because he's not officially innocent, now there's no compensation, there's no restitution, there's nothing for this guy right now, absolutely nothing. So now he's lost time. He's basically been slapped in the face by the justice system. He's uh, he's getting nothing other than uh, oh my bad, but then we're not going to actually say that you're innocent because then we're going to have to do something for you. You
1: got to pay him, and that's the scam of the system. And that's the to me this is the seed of collateral damage. This is what these people do uh, in in wanting to just railroad people's lives ten years mm-hmm. on death row. Ten years wondering when will I be put to death for something I did not do. Alibied up. No problem. We got the tr- we've seen we we know that doesn't matter. Right. Joyce Ann Brown uh, we're gonna be featuring her story Tuesday next Tuesday night. The collateral damage of her, she died after leaving prison, after they have an alibi after alibi, proof, time, everything. We're still going to convict you and sent, sent you to prison. Yeah, it's, this, this is sick.
2: Yeah, and it's absolutely crazy. I'm just sitting here reading further down like this guy, Mr. Brown, had never even prosecuted or convicted so much as a traffic ticket, a traffic ticket. Yep. And they're going to railroad this guy, threaten to kill him for more than a decade of his life? And then once something comes out again and they're gonna do they're gonna do nothing and they're not even going to investigate you know this crooked prosecutor so how many other people have, have right. this guy sold down the river you know got them maybe killed in prison for you know however many decades of their lives like how many people's lives how many hundreds and thousands of lives just this one prosecutor ruin it. And, and no make no mistake he's not alone in this group. Right. Absolutely, he's not alone in this group of just crooked people Like I said before We got one here at Hometown Front and Center for us with the IRP5 That that prosecutor should have had no word And said whether David could have come home for Juan He should have no word in anything But that this system of injustice that we have Like we've been saying on this show, man it, it, We have to speak up or nothing's going to change
1: No, absolutely right And, and folks, stand by We're going to be reaching out to the I've already actually reached out to some of the team members in this Uh in this case and uh, we're hoping to get it, get them on this show his attorneys uh we're going to definitely be uh pursuing that so uh, stay tuned. Kathy, your thoughts on something like this? Uh we talk about what's going on behind the wall 10 years here on death row. We talk about the impact of rikers of people being abused and beaten 10 years mentally. How do you recover from that? Your thoughts on that, Kathy?
6: I don't think oh, you ever can. I don't there is this trauma, you know, that, that impending doom. And how do you get over this? How do you know that somebody may not, you know, come out and say, oh, but we've got something else that we that's going to convict you?
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely.
6: And, and I think that that's a burden that people who have been exonerated, who were on death row... Have to live with and and process on an almost daily basis. Um, it's a huge it's a huge burden to have to carry with 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 someone for the rest of their life. Um, and not only that, but this psychological trauma of being held on si- on death row. You know, yeah. isol- isolated and everything it's just. It's just horrific. Um, it brings to mind the the one individual who was on death row and kept, you know, begging them, you know, please, just, just kill me, just, you know, kill me. I want. And they kept on going back to court because of the drugs that they were going to use. And they kept on finding it was unconstitutional. And he just kept begging them. He's like, at that point, I think he said, "Look, just do a firing squad." Um, and they kept on coming up with you know well we we need to check on the safety of the medications and all he ended up killing himself. he just couldn't take it anymore
4: this is um, I mean... so
6: there's these stories that we just we just don't hear about um but the the one the man that you 're talking about, I believe is he the one that they finally admitted that they had the DNA evidence clearing him?
1: I believe so. I believe so. Yes, because, yes. and a, that was go ahead. That yes. was written
6: in the Houston Chronicle yesterday by uh Carrie, who I happen yes. to know, who wrote the article. Um, and, and I read it and I was just I was speechless.
1: Look, it's such an injustice. And it's like are people just used to saying injustice? And meaning nothing behind it. Well, it's the way it is. We accept it as a society, nothing to worry about. It's you know this happens until it happens to you. And but that's the start, thing you can't.
6: We can't accept it. We can't sit here and say that it's okay to do this to people. It's
1: not. Because it's not.
6: It's not right. Um, we're all human beings.
1: Absolutely right.
6: And, and and to be playing with someone's life like this someone's freedom
1: and you have someone walking on, living in on death row for 10 years knowing he did nothing and as samson alluded yeah. to earlier phone records showing mm-hmm. he could not have done any of this and it's ignored my question to the nation to this country where's the outrage Yep. Does does the outrage simply have to come from a family member? Why won't – if an innocent man taken down to death row, the torture, the mental anguish of that every single day, how do we not feel that? How do we just say, well, you know what? Because I believe the system is set up to conceal. Don't let that Mm -hmm. get out. Don't share that because – if people knew, as we know, as we've lived, maybe something changes, because there's a number of outcries happening across this nation, not just in the community. A nation cries out against injustice. That is the only time we're going to see change. We're not going to see it until then. And people just go to county jail. they're getting arrested not charged, not convicted rather, they're dying in custody. Yes. Unacceptable. Mm-hmm. People are dying in custody at a jail. You have the sergeant that, that died uh, uh, in jail. Uh, he, was going, he was checking in for two days. You know what he asked for? A Dixie cup of water. A Dixie yep. cup. They laughed. They mocked him. Made fun of him.
6: He died. There was just this. There was just another story about a young man who was on probation, and they violated him for having a cookie that was laced with marijuana, and he started to have a seizure in the in the uh, jail cell, and the officers put him in a restraint chair. And left him and he died. died.
1: Are you kidding me?
6: No. It just came out yesterday, the
1: story. Well, Kathy, come back with us. We're going to take a quick break. Yep. Unbelievable. And I don't care how many times we hear it, the impact is the same. And you know why that is? Because it's wrong. It's inhumane. And the minute you come to the point in your life, ladies and gentlemen, that you accept that, and it seems normal to you, we got a serious problem in this nation. This is agency radio collateral damage of injustice. We'll be right back.
18: Look, right now. Uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell and they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught, they got caught and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. we're, We're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something.
1: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, addressing an issue, collateral damage of injustice, part two, and we'll probably do part three, four, five, six, until we exhaust this conversation, until folks are motivated to move and do something. Uh, these are the lives of people, uh, who are needlessly lost, uh, lives are needlessly taken, uh, as a result, uh, of, of just injustice that that's the bottom line there's no other way to say it samson as we uh, have gone down this path tonight you're talking troubling heartbreaking heart-wrenching uh things here that i don't know how a person a person can hear these facts and go to and actually go to sleep at night which it, i don't Talk to me, Samson. This is this is out there.
2: Yeah, I, I don't understand it either, Mon. I mean, we've we've heard about like countless countless people being affected, whether the the family member um, has to sit there and go through this this wrongful imprisonment, wrongful conviction uh, of one of their loved ones, knowing full well, you know, that they never did anything wrong. We have the person that's behind bars having to be separated from everything that they know, going through. You know, further abuse at the hands of guards and officers and, uh, you know, whomever else. Um, and, I mean, we've, we've heard it time and again, just lives lost, tragedies that happen, families torn apart, not, I mean, not seeing or hearing from each other for forever. And then if the, if the person manages to survive and get, get out, well, then their life is still in disarray. I mean, they're coming back to an entire society that they don't know. The records aren't easily expunged, so they can just enter back into society as a contributing member. No, now they're they're a pariah. Now they're an outcast. Now they're looked down upon as being less than the normal citizen when they did absolutely nothing wrong. And then, like we heard from the last story, on top of that, the system wormed its way through all these different loopholes with these crooked judges and prosecutors to not even make any type of reparations or anything for these people. So it's just one wrongful thing, one you know. Like Dennis said earlier, one prosecutor trying to pad his win record, and they're devastating hundreds and thousands of lives each and every time they get a wrongful conviction because they don't care. They don't care. They're winning. They're making their money, and they're moving on. We as a society, it seems like we've lost that human factor. Like where have our morals and ethics gone? Where right is right and wrong is truly wrong. You know, that's the pro- the big problem that I think. You know, at least for me and I think everybody else here on the show has with, the, with this, this system of injustice that you know so many people are falling victim to. Now instead, you know we, we as AJC radio, we're trying to stand up, give a voice to the voices, speak out for those who can't speak for themselves and get out here and get the word out, get people to actually get up off their couches and do something about it rather than just sit idly by. And that's what it's going to take to make the system change.
1: Oh, for sure. And Kathy uh, Morris is definitely one of those ladies uh, that's letting her voice be heard as an advocate. Kathy, your thoughts uh, just on, on the entirety of what we've heard tonight. Um, and, and, again, you're very clear on your position and, and your passions and what you say. Give me your thoughts. of the, these. Are, we could go for years and report on stories. And collateral damage of injustice because it is so often that we're seeing and hearing what we're seeing. Your thoughts on that?
6: That's right. And we would never repeat the same story twice. hmm There are so many stories out there that don't even make it into the press that we aren't aware of, if it weren't for maybe family members coming out with it. Um and that's where the community has to get involved and demand accountability and transparency.
1: Absolutely. This is something that you just cannot believe is real. That's, that's kind of where you go. Listen to this. Man dies after alleged mix-up led to his wrongful arrest, attempted hanging, and massive brain injuries. A man who tried to hang himself in a Chicago police lockup, prompting his family to accuse officers of wrongfully detaining him, died Wednesday morning, according to his longtime girlfriend. Tyler Lumar, 24, died at the Landmark of Des Plains Rehabilitation and Nursing Center in the northwest suburb, where he had been treated after suffering massive brain injuries during the suicide attempt in August 2016 at the Harrison District Station on Chicago West Side. His cause of death has yet to be determined. It just seems surreal, his girlfriend Casey told the Tribune on Wednesday. I don't think I've really grasped any of it and accepted any of it. The Cook County Medical Examiner's Office confirmed Lumar was pronounced dead at 5.31 a.m. An autopsy had been scheduled for Thursday. The Tribune highlighted Lamore's ordeal in front page article last November after his mother filed a lawsuit against the city and Chicago Police Department on her son's behalf. At the time, Lumar had spent the last year on life support, racking up about $2 million in medical bills. Chicago police officers were called to a medical clinic in the East Garland Parks neighborhood after Lumar yelled and threatened a doctor who refused to refill his cough medicine prescription and then tossed papers on the floor and said he would come back. Police let Lumar go without charges, but moments later, the same officer stopped him as he walked down Madison Street record show. They arrested him because authorities in Lee County and Western Illinois had issued a warrant over an overdue $25 payment in 2015 misdemeanor traffic case. Lumar had paid the 25 but authorities in Lee County had failed to withdraw the warrant, the lawsuit alleged. Can you – are you kidding me? $25? Now you let him go. Now, that's collateral damage. This man should have never been stopped for $25. He ultimately tries to take his life and suffers massive brain damage. Why are these officers not held accountable for the death of this young man? Dennis, it's because... Uh, that that young man's life uh, to them didn't matter. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, and it's so sad. As we talk tonight, I think uh, I think a lot about uh, why does it have to hit home? Uh, I'm so thankful what, for what a Just Cause is doing. You know, getting out there, we're trying to prevent it from going getting to someone's home. But it seems as though no one takes anything serious until it's in their it's in their backyard. You know, it, it, it happens to them and we're just trying to get it out there that this this injustice has to stop i mean $25 that's just, come on that's just that's ridiculous but i guarantee you it was more than that $25 well they didn't want to let him go and they were forced to let him go cuz really no crime it he got you know he told the doctor you know threw papers on the floor uh but he didn't do anything physically they didn't want to let him go because apparently him walking from that location, they stop him and say, well, there's a warrant, because they failed wow. to pull a warrant, a traffic warrant, mind you, $25. $25. Yeah, $25 and somebody not doing their job properly, and this young man loses his life. It's, it's unbelievable. Kathy, we're going to play a clip right now. I want to get your thoughts, and we're going to let you go respectively um, if you choose to. Uh, that option's on the table for you. You've been such a delight on this show, and your insight is, is, is priceless. We appreciate that. So I'm going to play this clip for you. Uh, talks about a former county jail officer, speaks out on the death of a Sergeant James Brown who died needlessly and became collateral damage in a failed system. Let's see what he had to say.
13: The video of Fort Bliss, Sergeant James Brown's death in the El Paso County Jail is going worldwide. Good evening. I'm Erica Castillo.
11: And I'm John Purvis. First on Fox tonight. One week ago, we showed you the jailhouse video of Sergeant Brown's final hours. And the story has now moved far beyond the borderland. News outlets and websites around the world are picking up the story. The Washington Times and the Huffington Post here in the U.S. have been joined by the Daily Mail in Britain and other international websites in telling his story. Hundreds of people around the world have commented on the video as well, and tonight a former El Paso County Jail Corrections officer speaks up to say Sergeant Brown's death did not have to happen. Erica continues her coverage of this story that you'll see only on KFOX.
13: Fort Bliss is one of the largest military installations in the country. There are about 30,000 active-duty soldiers stationed here at any given time. So you may be surprised that when active-duty soldiers get in trouble in the civilian world and end up in the El Paso County Jail, there is no one there from the military to check on them. A former corrections officer at El Paso County's jail who has asked for anonymity tells us why he believes that can have deadly consequences. Sergeant James Brown self-reported to the El Paso County Jail for a weekend DWI sentence in July 2012. Documents show Sergeant Brown informed the jail upon arrival that he was diagnosed with PTSD. He was a decorated two-time combat veteran in Iraq. Initially, Sergeant Brown was placed in the general population, and it appears he was not coping well. We traveled to Lubbock to interview a then inmate who, on that day in July 2012, we verified was in the El Paso County jail cell with James Brown. He claims the inmates were all growing frustrated before Brown was removed.
7: They really weren't feeding you, you know. I think they gave us one sandwich for the whole day,
3: a sandwich and a
7: carton of milk. So some guys were pretty, you know, heated. That guy James Brown, he was there. He was actually about to get released. Pushed the door, but it was already locked, so he couldn't open it. He pushed the door and he cussed. And, he, you know, he I don't say the words that he said, but he cussed at him and he turned around and walked to the back and just kicked back against the wall. Well, they came in, like three, I think it was three or four of them that opened the door and they came in and they grabbed him.
13: At that time, Brown was placed in a cell by himself. He threw wads of wet toilet paper at the door, somehow caused himself to bleed and then refused to speak.
12: As far as inmates with PTSD and problems of that sort, they're just regular in it.
13: A former corrections officer at the El Paso County Jail tells k 14 soldiers are never separated from the general population, even when the jail has knowledge they are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress.
12: The protocol is the same. Um, when I was still in the department, uh, everything was the same. Inmates were inmates, whether they were in the military or the only exception was for some law enforcement where they can't be where other inmates are at.
13: After viewing the entire raw video of Sergeant Brown's encounter, he believes Brown being in the general population was not where the issue began.
15: It was here.
12: To have told the inmate that we were going to send somebody in there. When the inmate was in reality already calm, he was resting or sleeping. I couldn't see him, what he was doing, but he wasn't yelling or kicking the door. It wasn't until he was threatened with with violence to give, give himself up that he reacted.
13: What followed was the extraction team storming his cell and Brown immediately stating he was struggling to breathe. Eventually, his limp body was hoisted up and carried to the infirmary where Brown was sedated twice by injection and begged for water before collapsing and becoming unresponsive. Shockingly, all pretty standard procedure, according to our source, except for one thing.
12: The reaction of the supervisors on scene should have prompted them to take over the situation and call 911. You just stayed in the same position where they left them. And that's, that's a big red flag.
13: Sadly, though, our source says he is not surprised. He says there is no training at the jail for corrections officers or the extraction team on how to deal with soldiers, much less soldiers diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. He claims they barely get any training of any sort at all.
12: They don't get to practice as much. They practice maybe once a week, two, twice if they're lucky. Um, And they have to do it, you know, after, after the shift.
13: He also says there is no psychiatrist and no official military presence at the jail in the event an active duty soldier is incarcerated, something he believes in this case could have made a difference.
12: In the event that they do have somebody there, it would have to be somebody with uh, rank of an officer to be able to control whoever it is that's there. That would uh, create less problems.
13: Fort Bliss, however, disagrees with that assessment. Lieutenant Colonel Lee Peters, who speaks on behalf of Fort Bliss, says that the post does not assign a military liaison to the jail because the percentage of soldiers arrested in El Paso comprises only 1% of the entire number of people arrested in El Paso County each year. Instead, Fort Bliss relies on the El Paso County jail to inform the post when a detained soldier has been arrested and booked solely for the purpose of reporting procedures. It is unknown if James Brown ever told anyone when he arrived at the jail that he was an active duty soldier. However, it is documented in jail records he informed them of his post-traumatic stress. It's no secret military personnel with post-traumatic stress often experience a host of phobias and at times can react to those situations violently. Besides potential psychological triggers, there may be other issues at stake when a soldier is incarcerated in a civilian jail, given soldiers are considered property of the U.S. federal government. Fort Bliss, however, says it's a matter of jurisdiction. But this former jail guard, who worked for years on the extraction team, says it is a unique problem to cities with military installations
10: that local jails need to address.
12: That hasn't happened yet, and I wish it would be in a... combat disabled veteran myself i can relate to to mr brown's uh problem so that's why i i decided to vent what i feel and i think that if the army personnel or any military personnel comes in and they claim to have ptsd they should be uh, afforded the opportunity to stay separate from everybody because just like law enforcement you know they they serve the community and serve the country, and as such, they should be treated as such.
13: We're waiting to hear from the El Paso County Jail and the sheriff about the protocols there and the training, as well as exactly how many soldiers have been incarcerated there in the last three years, how often there is a psychiatrist available at the jail, and what purpose it serves to have soldiers declare they're diagnosed with post-traumatic stress.
1: Sergeant Brown was not a threat. He asked for a cup of water. He asked for a cup of water. I am I've heard that story over and over again, and I'm floored again. threw some toilet paper at the door. It's not a threat. On the video that I observed, he said, please, just give me a cup of water. You rush four guys into this man's cell, a soldier, a decorated soldier. Sickest thing I've ever heard. And ultimately, I saw him on that video Gasping to breathe. And you don't have the state of mind to dial 911. And you leave him sitting there like a nothing. And you think we're supposed to just remain silent. While you kill people in these county jails. We will expose you. They're going to stop. They need to, people. The American people need to know the monsters that are in these jails, in these prisons that are taking our loved ones off the planet. Unacceptable. Kathy, your thoughts on that?
6: There is a slowly growing trend in uh, jails and prisons across the United States that are opening up special units for members of the military who find themselves arrested. And these units will be specifically equipped to deal with the PTSD and the other issues that is unique to um, military personnel. Uh, Rikers recently opened one. There is a special unit in a New York State correctional facility as well and it's just for veterans. So while unfortunately it wasn't something that could have saved this man's life, it is something that um, more enlightened correctional departments, jails, and prisons are aware of and are making a concerted effort. But in the meantime, it's not enough to save the lives
1: of individuals like this. It's uncomprehendable. Dennis Sampson, former military. Uh, my dad was military 20 and a half years I have respect for those that wear the uniform to protect this nation. When you hear of a fellow soldier dying in this fashion, and like I said, you got to go see the video where he is pleading. And the guy's laughing at him. No, you're not getting that. He can't breathe. He's in a labored breathing situation. As former soldiers, I'll go to you, Dennis, and then, Samson, I want your thoughts. How does that make you feel?
12: It makes you
1: like, wow, you know, I serve this country and, uh, you know, I go through some things because of what I've seen and I go to a prison and instead of, you know, you know, taking that into consideration, I'm treated like dirt. And eventually, of course, I lose my life. I mean, that is sad. Well, not even prison. He checked himself in. He had two days. Wow. In county. In county. In county. Yeah, that's, that's just ridiculous. I'm just, look, I'm going for a weekend. Oh. I'm leaving. I'm going home to my family. Wow. You never come out alive. Go ahead. It, it's, it's sad. I mean, it, it makes you think that, wow, I mean, these, these, how, how, how could someone check themselves in and then lose their life for doing so? And how could you treat anyone that served this country as though they were nothing? But that's the mentality. The, 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 these, these, these guards think they're gods. So it don't matter who you are. I'm God. You're going to do what I tell you to do, how I tell you to do it. If you don't, there are consequences. And you're not convicted. You're not convicted. Out of control. Do you understand that? I haven't been convicted of a crime. And I'm here for 48 hours. And I die, yes, yes Simpson.
2: Yeah, I. For me, I mean, this guy was a two-time, you know, campaign veteran to Iraq. You know, he's gone out there, he's seen the horrors of war multiple times, and he comes home to lose his life to some guy behind a badge with an ego. And I mean, it's just it disgusts me because we, when we serve. Like, you know, there's the old analogy. Yeah, we we write a paycheck up to, you know, including our life to defend this country, but we don't want to come home and die here at the hands of a system that is corrupt, at the hands of some guard that, like you said, they want to mock us. And then you want to talk about the collateral damage here outside of your biological family you probably won't find a closer-knit group of people than our armed forces. The brothers and sisters that you walk side-by-side with, that you bleed with, that you train with, that you're with day in and day out, sometimes 365 days a year
1: on a deployment, you won't find it. and The the effects just ripple throughout the community. Listen to this number. As of 2018, 731,000 People are in local jails. 465,000 are not convicted. Are not convicted. Do you understand what I just said? That's over 50%. Yep. And you're treating these people, you shouldn't treat the guilty the way these people are treated. They're in county waiting for justice. Unacceptable, Kathy, I want your closing thoughts if I can. We're up against the clock. Such a uh, insightful person. We can't thank you enough for talking to us tonight, talking to our listeners, adding your perspective to this conversation. Give me your closing thoughts. How do we get out of this mess, and what lies ahead for this nation if
8: we don't?
6: I hate to think of what lies ahead for the nation if we don't the most important thing we can do is take our voices and get out there and educate as many people as 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 possible i think that what happened was when we saw the you you know the passage of the first step act it became apparent that american voters are interested in criminal justice reform they want criminal justice reform they feel the time is right for criminal justice reform and we we as advocates Need to use that as a springboard to get out there and educate individuals as to what's going on in jails and prisons in this
1: country. Absolutely. Kathy, thank you so much. You're always welcome on this show. We're thank going to be doing you. this series. We are here every Tuesday, a program note. Every Tuesday, uh, we will be here uh, 8 p.m. to 8 to 10 Eastern Standard Time. And in the event, if needed, uh, we will carry on. Uh, on Thursday evenings. Right now, we are Tuesday nights. Tell everybody you know. Kathy, anybody that's interested in what's going on, please uh, have those folks join us. Whenever you want to come to the show, if your voice wants to be heard, let me know. You have an open invitation anytime we go on air. Believe that, okay? Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. A pleasure. Be well, well, everyone. Thank you. You too, Kathy. You too. Good night. Have a good night. All right. And A courageous lady What do you say She's been through it Has seen a lot Um, And we're grateful at AJC To have her uh, always Available to come on this show And to give her perspective Uh, And I agree with her The Ramifications The tremor effect if you will Of collateral damage Is uncomprehendable what we're seeing. Uh, This is something we have to take seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to take it seriously. Uh, This is something that will continue. Please join us Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, as we continue this uh, collateral damage of injustice and to every person, uh, every person that has been lost, every person that has suffered the pain Family members who've lost sleep at night, who many of them have had to go into counseling, trying to cope with injustice. It should not be in a place called America where we say justice matters. But again, I'll tell you right now, that bus left the station a long time ago. And we're going to continue again to, uh, to have this discussion very, very quickly, uh, Sampson, how important is it that this message continue to go out?
2: Oh, I mean, it, we've said it numerous times. It's absolutely critical. You know, we cannot sit idly by and say nothing and do nothing. You know, to everybody out there listening to AJC Radio across the nation, across the world, however you're tuning in, it doesn't matter. If you got to stand up. You got to stand up and make your voice be heard because nothing's going to change if you sit around. All it's going to do, only thing that's going to pass is time, and you're going to wind up in a worse mess uh,
1: than what we have now. And an announcement really quick. On Thursday, January 31st, Monroe College is screening the Rikers film, followed by a panel discussion, and Kathy Morse is participating in that. More information on Twitter, check out at, at Kathy Morse 914 and that's from 1030 a.m. to 1 p.m. You want to check that out, because if anybody has something to say, Kathy Morse definitely does. And we're going to promote that as well. Uh, Our team will be promoting to get folks interested uh, in that as well. So I think it's important, folks, uh, to continue uh, to join in this conversation. It's not the most comfortable, but it is definitely the most needed. Uh, As we, again, are in another year. And do we let year after year after year continue to go by and nothing gets done. And I think what Kathy says, we echo that, uh, the America has said they are interested in reform and the first step act. Uh, we're going to be talking more about that as we get going, all these shows, uh, dedicated to the IRP five, as we fight for justice for those guys, uh, we'll continue to do so, uh, because they are without question, uh, the collateral damage, uh, of injustice, make no mistake about it. And, and uh, again, folks, join us every week Tell everybody you know about this show uh, All of our shows are archived You can go to ajcradio.com, uh, Listen to any show that we've had uh, And you can tune into that uh, as, you, as, as it's convenient for you So we appreciate that And uh, folks, we'll say again tonight uh, This series will continue Collateral damage Of injustice Continues next Tuesday We'll see you then Good night, America
11: Right now, a Broward judge facing scrutiny after video surfaced showing her berating a woman in Boncourt.
10: Yeah, that judge has since resigned. But as you can see in that video, the judge seemingly ignoring the inmate's request for medical treatment. Days later, her family says she died at home. Local 10's Madeline Wright is is in Fort Lauderdale with more. This is not at all the type of behavior you'd expect to see from a judge. The defendant's family says they're appalled by the way she was treated when she appeared here at Boncourt.
15: Oh, no, she didn't. The
10: family of 59-year-old Sandra Twiggs in shock as they watched video of her court appearance. Don't say anything beyond what I am asking you. Trust me, I am ma'am. Ma'am, ma'am! Twigs in a wheelchair suffered from asthma and COPD. She was charged with a misdemeanor after getting into a fight with her daughter. While in Boncourt Sunday, Twigs started coughing. Ma'am, do you need water? Just nod your head.
15: madam breathing
10: treatment. Ma'am, I'm not here to talk to you about your breathing treatment. The family says when she got home Monday, she was so upset she could barely speak she say they treated me so bad. And she all I wanted was some medical attention and some help. The next day, the family found her dead in her room. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Public defender Howard Finkelstein wrote a letter to the chief judge at Broward County Court saying, Judge Merrily Ehrlich demonstrated aggressive and tyrannical behavior and revealed her lack of emotional fitness to sit on the bench.
0: To see a person begging you for help and trying to talk to you, and you treat them like a dog, for what reason?
10: The family believes the way the judge treated Twigs and the night she spent in jail might have played a role in her death.
0: If that judge is listening to us and looking at us, I hope you can sleep at night knowing that you killed her.